Hello, how is everyone? Very good. Okay. Um, so we've had very flash technology, and we've had flash videos, and we've had blockchains and all of these sorts of things, and now we're going to have cows and grass, just to, just to ease us in at the end of the day. So, okay. All right. That's my two grandsons. They're now five months of age. Okay. That photo was taken about 10 seconds after they've had their first ever taste of solid food. Okay, so something new, something interesting, something different. Um, Arden's a little fella over there, and as you can see, his approach to it is to think it through, to try to make sense of it. This is a bit different. I'm not sure what's happened here, but he's, he's working his way through it. Quinny's brother's gone with this basic, simple, whoa, what was that? Okay. Hopefully sometime over the next 10 or 12 minutes, you're going to get both of those reactions. All right, what I want to talk to you about is climate change and the human-induced climate change. And just looking at the, uh, the brochure for this conference, this, the presentation that's downstairs, um, what they're talking about is the, the impact of humanity on the climate over the last 200 years. Um, we've spoken about fossil fuels, we've spoken about coal and oil and the carbon dioxide that comes from that. What I'd like to do is get you to just stretch that human impact on climate a little bit longer than 200 years and take it back about another 10,000. The point at which we actually started to domesticate livestock, the point at which we started to do agriculture. That's when we started to impact the climate very heavily. Okay. Now what I'd like you to do at this point is simply turn to the people either side of you, smile and say hello, because you're going to need their help shortly, so everyone just turn to each other, say smile and say hello. Come on, pay attention, do this. All right, very good, thank you. Okay. What's happened here? This is a photograph. What is it? It's a photograph of a wheat field in Australia. Okay? The photograph was taken on, on a single day. It's not photoshopped. It's all one variety of wheat. It was planted on the same day by the same farmer sitting in the same tractor. Okay? It's during a dry period. It's during what in Australia is known as a drought. And as you can see, some of the plants in this photo didn't get the email about it being a drought. So there's one long line of really bright, strong, healthy, dark green plants in that. What caused that? What do you think caused that? Okay, so you've now got 10 or 15 seconds to talk to each other and come up with your reasons that that dark green line is there. Okay, go. Okay, thank you. That, whoop, that's enough. That's enough conversation for now, thank you. Okay. All right, now what we're talking about is beef and producing a thing called beef, okay? Um, I was in the States recently and I just had, on two different days, two days following each other, I just went past two processes of producing beef. And all I want you to do is have a look at them, okay, and we just go, where do we... Okay, so look at this one. This is one way to produce beef. Okay, it's obviously a feedlot. There's something like 100 to 150,000 cattle in there. And it keeps going, and it keeps going, and it keeps going. All right. This is another way to produce beef. There's a good friend of ours called Dale Lassiter, who unfortunately died two years ago, but um, with his cattle on the, the plains in Colorado. All right, so the question for you is really simple. Did you spot any difference between the two ways to produce beef? Okay. If you did, what was the main difference between the two ways that beef is being produced? What's the difference between beef being produced here and the beef that's produced here? 
Okay, the main reason is, is decisions made by human beings. Okay, cows are cows, sheep are sheep. They're neither good nor bad, they're just an animal. Okay, they didn't put themselves in there. The razor wire is not to stop them get jumping in. Okay, so what you've got is we as human beings decided to do that, or we as human beings decided to do that. That's the fundamental difference. Okay, so don't blame the animal for something that we made it do. All right. Where is that? Okay, where is that on the planet? Lots of places it could be. Where's that? Lots of places it could be. Where's that? Well, again, lots of places it could be. Okay, the top one is a property in the Sonoran Desert in Mexico. The middle one is Date Creek in Arizona, and the bottom one is a riverbed in Zimbabwe in southern Africa. Okay, why do they look like that? Well, because of the climatic conditions, Tony. I mean, the things, it's a, it's a Sonora desert, it's called a desert. Okay, it looks like that because it's a desert. There's a, that's why it's like that. Okay, the interesting thing is that that's a property next door on the same day. That's further down the same creek on the same day. That person there is that person there. Okay, and that's the riverbed on the adjoining property on the same day. That's in the Sonora Desert in Mexico. That's in Arizona. That's in Southern Africa. It's the same areas, on the same rainfall, the same soils, the same plant species, the same season. The pictures were genuinely taken on the same day. This area has more livestock. It's got more wildlife. It's got more everything. And the difference between that and that is how the livestock are managed. Again, decisions that human beings make. We can either go, we can have that, or we can have that, depending on how we manage. All right. In nature, carbon, carbon dioxide. Okay, so this is, this is the other half of the story. Half of the excess carbon dioxide that's in the atmosphere is from burning, climate, burning fossil fuels. There's no doubt about that. The first half that went up there came from the way that we managed our ecosystem. Okay? So everyone understands about photosynthesis and how plants grow, and they take carbon dioxide out of the air and they build their plant material, etc. Okay? So if you think about the biggest tree you've ever seen, okay, it's a couple of hundred feet tall, and it's you know, metres wide and it weighs tonnes. Okay, and it's big and it's heavy and it's made of stuff. Where did all the stuff in the tree come from? It started off as a tiny seed that big, and it's now a tree as big as this room. Okay, where did all the material, all the hard stuff in the tree, where did it come from? People think it came out of the ground. Most of that is solidified carbon dioxide. Okay, the bulk of that tree has actually come out of the atmosphere by the process of nature, by photosynthesis. What people don't appreciate also is that grasses do that. So the grasslands of our planet have got the same sort of capacity. A plant is a plant. It's still absorbing carbon dioxide. Okay. Question for you. You've seen grasses growing in a paddock. You've seen grasses in somebody's yard. The grass might be this high above ground. How deep are the roots of a grass plant? How far underground can grass plants' roots go? 30 centimetres, half a metre? How far do we think they can go? Okay. That is the roots on a grass plant. If with a tree, about half of the mass you see is above ground and half is below ground. With a grass plant, a healthy functioning grass plant, 90% of the action is happening underground. We don't see that. The interesting thing here is that's a wheat plant, and you can see there's very little root activity. Perennial grass plant, all the way down here. All of that plant material is basically carbon dioxide. Okay? 
some material from the United States on prairies and biodiversity and the diversity of different grass plants you've got. The plants are all about a metre tall, but the roots are going down five metres. Okay? Other than over here, which is a tiny little grass in somebody's yard or in a paddock where cows are constantly keeping the grass short. So we've got a choice, we either have that or we have that. Okay, now if that was one choice and that was another choice, if we've taken a huge part of the planet from that to that, how much carbon dioxide has been released? How much reduction in water holding capacity? How much hotter is that in summer than that? This is all the climate impacts that are out there. Okay? And this is the thing that gives me an incredible amount of hope. Because we've got five billion hectares on this planet of seasonally dry grassland. Our planet is basically the two coal bits at the top and the bottom, a big green bit through the middle, and then grasslands. Okay, and there's five billion hectares of grasslands. The thing is that if we know that we can take it from that to that times five billion hectares, you're making an enormous difference to the climate. You're making an enormous difference to every aspect of the ecosystem. Okay? And if you can do that in a way that's positive, okay, financially, economically, socially, and ecologically, how do we do that? What's our process? We mimic nature. We look at what nature's doing and we bring that back into our process. We recognise that there's a natural relationship between grasses and grazing animals. They evolve together. Okay? We, we, we recognise that, we respect it and we restore that relationship. Probably one of the few places on the planet where there's still a healthy functioning grassland ecosystem is the Serengeti in Africa. And if you've seen a documentary, a Discovery Channel, David Attenborough type documentary of the wildebeest migration, at some point, they'll do this, they'll do the helicopter photo, and they'll pull back and they'll show you the wildebeest migrating. And you'll see three things that are critical for healthy functioning of a grassland ecosystem. The first thing you'll see is a massive number of animals altogether. Okay? The second thing you'll see is that there's no ecosystem on Earth that's productive enough to hold that for long, so the animals are constantly moving. The third thing you'll see is that those animals are kept bunched up, because around the edge of the herd are things trying to eat them, and in the waterholes are things trying to eat them. So you have a big mob of animals come into an area for a short period of time, they graze non-selectively, they dung, they impact, and they move on. Okay? That's what nature wants. What have we done? And it's not just the last 200 years, it's the last 10,000 years. What we do is we get lots of little herds, we put them in small areas, and we leave them for the whole year. So unintentionally, because a lot of these things as we've spoken about is unintentional, unintentionally we've done exactly the opposite. Nature wants a big herd constantly moving, kept bunched up, We've created lots of little herds, all spread out, stuck there for a long time. We change that process, we get a different result. Wildebeest on the Serengeti. Okay? You look at that, look at that behaviour, look at what the animals are doing. Cattle on our country. Okay? We've basically got, we just leave the lions and, the, wilde and the, the crocodiles and stuff out of it, so we do it with um, you know, horses and motorbikes and moving the animals, but you've got exactly the same sort of behaviour. Okay? And we move the animals, we bunch them up, we do what nature wants. So we come back to that, what happened here? Okay, so we hadn't forgotten that question. All right. A lot of stuff that we've seen, we saw that there's grasses above ground and then we've got roots that go five metres deep. Okay, so there's a massive amount of things happening below ground. We've gone before, we're all sitting in here and we've decided we wanted to get a cup of coffee or we wanted to go and get lunch. So we've got up and we walked down the stairs and we've gone down, we've got our food and we've come back up. Okay? A plant can't do that. A plant's got really limited possibilities because where it grows is it. Okay? 
Now, if I wanted to pass something from here and get it up to the back, and nobody was allowed to get out of their seat, the only way you can do it is you've got to cooperate. You've got to work together. You've got to share the thing as you get there. Okay. Somewhere up the top here is a, little, is a, a pine tree seedling, and then two plants either side. Most of what you can see on that underground is not the plant, not the roots of the plant. Most of that, all that white material is a thing called a mycorrhizal fungi. It's a fungus that, that's symbiotic with the plant. Okay? The plant takes all the carbon dioxide out of the air, produces um, carbohydrates, and pushes that out through, it root, through its roots, and it feeds this plant, this, this fungus. And in return for feeding the fungus, the fungus goes off and gets some phosphorus from over here and some potassium from over here and some zinc from over here and brings it back to the plant. Okay? Why is that relevant? That's a long straight line with some trees in the end of it. What actually happened? What happened was that that was, prior to, uh, pr previously, two paddocks and along there was an old fence. Okay? And all the farmer did that year was he'd gone and pulled the old fence out and he, plowed, he planted across the whole thing. This area here had been ploughed and, and farmed for 30 or 40 years. And the process of ploughing and the process of artificial fertiliser and all that breaks up all that fungus and breaks up all that bio biology underground. Okay? So that's what had happened here. That's what had happened here. The bit where he hadn't ploughed up still had the, micro the microbial activity, it still had the biology. And that's the only difference, is nature underneath it. Okay? So when you're talking about cattle, if you've got one thing to take away from here, you've got people talk about livestock. Okay? And as I said, cows and sheep, goats, pigs, chickens are just cows, sheep, goats, pigs, chickens. There's nothing inherently good or bad about them. What we, what we decide to do with them is what the consequences are. Okay, so there's a huge difference between livestock and properly managed livestock. Okay, so when somebody's talking to you about livestock, just say, are you talking about livestock? You're talking about properly managed livestock. You now understand part of the difference between it. Properly managed livestock can restore the environment and re rebalance the carbon cycle. Okay? If we change our management, we can get those grassroots going down hugely. We can increase that whole process. Okay? The nature's preferred means of cycling carbon in a grassland. Everything is about cycling. In those ecosystems, if the grass don't get eaten, they burn. A fire is 3.6 times more greenhouse gas intensive than a, cow, than a cow chewing the same amount of material. So we don't have a choice of nothing happening. We take the cattle out, it still rains, the grass still grows. At some point, nature wants to cycle it. Okay, it's either the animal eating it or a fire. They're efficient producers of food from non-edible resources. Now, Richard said a lot of the, the production goes into feed, feeding cattle. We grow soybeans, we grow corn. We decide to do that. We put the cows in a feedlot. If we had the cattle out on grasslands managed properly, we can get a massive amount or more production out of it. Okay. So I'll leave you with the thought that at the end of the day, it comes back to your choice. Now, we've had a whole conversation around, from starting with Kate, with you know, what's the future going to be? And we've had Bitcoin, we've had all these bits and pieces, and we've had you know, what, the money, what the capitalist system should be and where we should move to, et cetera, et cetera. What it still comes back to is the cleanest signal we've got is where we spend our time and where we spend our money. Okay. We spend our time in, in, in advocating for things, in activating for things, in, in, sort of, you know, in volunteering for things, in being involved and in coming to conferences like this. How we spend our money is a, decision, is a big thing. Okay? And every time you shop, every time you buy something, you are sending a really clear signal to society as to which direction you want them to head. Okay? So hopefully, as I said, the takeaway is there's a huge difference between livestock and properly managed livestock. 
and don't blame the animals for something that we've done. Okay, thank you. <laughs>